you know, just digital marketing is just going to be called marketing. And then there's going to be some physical components. But, I mean, what happens if the internet goes down? <laughs> Welcome to Pace Notes, the podcast that helps automotive aftermarket leaders create clean entries through all the branding and business obstacles that lie ahead. I'm your host, Dennis Michael, and today I want to introduce you to Tony Gaffey. She is a marketing strategist, author, teacher, and owner of Ratio Marketing. Welcome, Tony. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Dennis. Yes, thanks. Um, you know, it was interesting because we we got connected through a kind of a mutual friend, and um, our first conversation that we had, I was it was really refreshing to <laughs> to have somebody in in marketing that um, that actually knows their stuff. Because I'm sorry, there are a lot of frauds out there, and um, it really pains me because you know and we know like it marketing's tough. There's a lot of moving parts there. And so I'm happy to have this conversation with you and, you know, and, and whoever's going to listen to this, maybe we'll get a refreshing, um, refreshing perspective on what marketing is and what marketing isn't so that they can go out and make the right decisions for their business. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. So Let's start off by you telling a little bit of background to your story, how you got started in marketing. Well, I often say the wind blew me this way. I followed my heart. I entered U of A in Edmonton thinking I would be a nutritionist and hated sciences, but I excelled in an economics course that I took. So I just went in that direction. I got a degree in economics and my parents were like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I moved to Vancouver on a whim with a couple of girlfriends and um, ended up being a bartender, of course, and applying for jobs and, and got in at uh, Vancouver Airport where I advanced my career in transportation there where I was managing 13 airports for British Columbia. Wow. I'd fly into these little airports and help the airport manager lease and license their air terminal space by doing promotions to the local business community. Yeah. And um, ended up doing an MBA at the University of Victoria, um, majoring in marketing because I thought, well, I may as well continue on that path. It's of interest to me. And then moved to Calgary to be closer to family. And with the, I worked with the Business Development Bank and a couple of ad agencies and then just started working on my own, but realized pretty quickly that, hey, I don't know enough people here <laughs> to just successfully be a consultant per se. So I started teaching. And now I teach at the University of Calgary. In, um, I teach digital marketing programs. So I've been advancing my career through my experience, but also through educating others and having to educate myself on an ongoing basis just yes. to keep up on what's going on. <laughs> so how do you keep yourself updated with everything that's going on, given how quick, I mean, how technologically change, how are how, economy and, and just consumer buying behaviors and whatnot changes on a regular basis? I First of all, I invested a, a solid two years of an in-depth learning into digital marketing to make that shift. Yeah. And 
the digital marketing world is infinitely expansive and I might know, you know, a bit of it, uh, you know, a, a certain percentage of information across each of the, what I call silos from branding to website development, search engine optimization, analytics, social media. Yeah. But every year I, since then, and that was about eight years ago or so every year since then, I've had to continually improve and increase my learning and knowledge just to keep up on what's going on. So I subscribe to uh, a couple of a handful of reputable, incredible sources where I get in, email daily about what's going on <laughs> and I just try to keep up <laughs> yeah <clears throat> and how is it like teaching students marketing like how how has that been um I guess how how well have they been receiving being taught with marketing and how quickly it keeps moving all the time yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I just uh, got through a cohort of students and, um, you know, they were there was a concern or an expression from them that they wanted more hands-on how to do things. And, then, like, you can learn how to do anything on yeah. Google. <laughs> LinkedIn has learning courses. There's Udemy courses. However, what doesn't change and what I I really try to express to my students is that it's about the strategy, like understanding how these pieces fit together. You mm -hmm. can learn how to do it. And in fact, you need to n not just learn how to do things. That's where you really need to keep up on what's happening. But once you understand how a cohesive, integrated strategy works, it kind of puts those pieces together. So that's what I try to convey to my students more than anything. And how and how do, how do they react to that? Because you... like. When I hear hands-on, I'm, I'm wondering, like, why why is it they want to focus more on hands-on instead of the strategy piece? I, I It's more than likely because they just don't know what they don't know. They're uh, okay. trying to, to drill down and, and what we call get in the weeds without that, you know, perspective of, you know, why are we doing this? Right. <laughs> and, you know, this happens with digital marketing experts. They are very... Uh, involved in their own area of expertise and sometimes oftentimes they don't understand how what they do actually contributes to the growth or the expansion of the company and they can't even explain it to the owners right yeah so then would you say that like anybody who's in marketing no matter what silo they operate that they should have a broader perspective of what's really going on when they apply their specialty their expertise into a marketing plan for a business and how that well, how that affects everything else? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you've read Michael Gerber's E-Myth. Yes. And, and the entrepreneurial myth. And one of his concepts is you need to know a little bit about every aspect of your business. So every business owner should know about marketing. And every digital marketing expert should know about that that range of of things that go into creating an omni-channel digital marketing approach right. where your brand needs to be seamlessly expressed across all the channels. You know, I'll give you an example of, I worked, or I, I met with someone and she was two years in business and her digital marketing person suggested SEO. So she was paying $500 a month for SEO. Mm -hmm. And he's a digital marketing ads guy, actually. I know him. And then um, 
it wasn't quite working and so he suggested she write a blog to improve her SEO and I'm like well you know why are you doing that like where's your return on that investment and, she, and they couldn't really explain that to her right Right. But to them, they're like, oh, you should be investing more money. Of course, you need to create a brand awareness, but without really recognizing, well, what does that mean to the business? Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And that the, the whole concept of ROI, I think, you know, most, most people assume ROI means hard dollars, but like, what are, what would you consider to be ROI besides just that piece of like actual sales or, or bottom line revenue that they're missing out on. Yes. So, um, okay. I'm going to make a brief plug about my book. I wrote this yes. book, um, digital marketing strategies because it represents a framework so that we can see our corporate goal and, you know, it might be increasing revenue by 10% in the next 12 months. Our marketing objectives to achieve that goal are often branding or lead generation. Right. So the metrics or the, the tactics with the metrics, those leading indicators can relate to either branding, which is that long-term play, creating that perception in the mind of the consumer that brings you business over a period of time, or lead generation where it's more of that quick, you know, that's the numbers, the ROI. You know, having said that, branding can be measured in numbers by number of impressions or direct hits to your website, for example. So ROI can be based on quantitative assessments, like the numbers, but also qualitative, the sentiment about a brand. Right. So that would then, would that be then reflective in like figuring out what that sentiment is? Would that be like analyzing your comments, analyzing your testimonials, reviews? Like where else could they analyze sentiment? So sentiment is that qualitative research. It's what people think and feel and say. So social media is a perfect place to go and find out what people are saying about a specific industry or even about your competitors or about your brand in general. And if you don't have that kind of footprint out there, that is something that can be a focus for those who are trying to brand who they are, is to right. have their own hashtag and, and encourage people to share their business through social media platforms. So what would you say is the biggest marketing myth that you've heard or dealt with in your career? You know, I thought about this. There's a couple but the very first one is that marketing and sales are the same thing. Mm. You know, a lot of companies are like, oh, that's our sales department. And I like that little the cartoons you sent me. The one is like about uh, emergency and they break it open and it says cut all marketing budget. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like, I mean, I, uh, marketing is how you attract customers and help them to consider and gain interest in what you have to offer to get them to that point where they convert to a sale of course sales needs marketing it does and if you talk to marketing people they'll say oh sales is a part of the marketing program you talk to sales people they're like you know we could use a little marketing yeah (laughs) you know um another myth is that uh underpricing beats your competition uh you know, and we've talked about this, right? It's like, yeah. don't be that company that's the low ball price. 
and if you really want to express or attract a, a clientele that has more has the values that will will pay for what you have to offer you need to brand yourself as such and and the last thing was you know marketing results should be immediate that, that's the most challenging thing that I find is that you know you need to get it done and why isn't that working it's not working okay we, we need to try something else it's like well <laughs> we measure our results over a period of time and it requires not just one month or a quarter but actually a whole year sometimes of analysis to see what's working what's not working because of the seasonality of things right So what would like, so that the the second point that you brought up with your biggest myth, like how, how does a business owner get over that? Like it just, how do they, how do they defeat that? Because like going to fighting their natural instinct is to lower their prices because they think that that's the way that they get people in the door and then they can bump their prices up again. They're so scared to keep their prices up. So how do we get, how do you get them to stop being so fearful and automatically default to lowering your price as the, the best solution to their marketing problems? Okay. This is a really good question because of course there's fear in all of us that, Mm -hmm. you know, if we let go of the low hanging fruit, (laughs) we not might, we may not make it to the next branch. Um, But you know, what would be a good approach is to have a, you know, maybe run uh, campaigns concurrently to see, like, what's working better. You know, best automotive, you know, Sherwood Park, yes. Or, you know, some sort of quality service that they're now offering to try and see which one captures the attention uh, of a different audience. Right. And from a numbers perspective and I did this with a client of mine they were like that for a long time and I'm like and we rebranded them to attract a a a more well-heeled audience it was in the hospitality industry and the way that I proved to the owner that it was the right move was that we analyzed the cost per job there were fewer jobs but the average cost went from $200 to roughly $2,000 Wow. So we were able to sh- demonstrate, I was able to demonstrate that this strategy actually worked by doing that. So, yeah. So then maybe, the, I don't know if this is a case in point, but I mean, would you think that even the small business owners are just not crunching the numbers? They just have this in their head that drop the price, bring people in, more quantity equals more money as opposed to really analyzing each job and then realizing that if you have fewer bigger paying jobs instead of discounting this is the best way right it's like business business strategy is like low cost high volume or high volume or high cost low volume right where's the sweet spot but a very good exercise to do and i do this with my clients and i do it for myself is at the end of every year, I analyze where my revenue comes from and how much time, effort, energy, and costs go into getting that work. Yes. And I drop the one that brings me the least amount of revenue so that I can make room for those higher paying gigs. And it right. works. It's how I've grown my company over the last, well, five years or so since I've been doing it for myself because yeah. I saw how well it worked for other companies. And I mean, you don't have to do away with 
with the least amount of money, um, or the, the revenue generation channel is bringing you the least amount, but at least focus on those that are bringing you more revenue for the right. amount of effort. That is a very good practice that any owner, business owner, maybe if they don't realize it, they should consider it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Now, you said um, uh, target audiences, and I know that there are a lot of people out there that will say, well, if I market, I just market to everybody. And getting them to shift their mindset and find a specific audience, like how how do you overcome that and get them to think about, no, you're not everybody and anybody. We have to dig deeper. Yes, this is very good because um, I actually had a student submission yesterday and she went over and above and I'm like, what a great approach. What she did was she broke down the target market into five different personas and then she prioritized them. Ah. I'm like, oh, that's a really good approach. Same with the lead, the, the revenue channels, right? It's like don't necessarily do away with those market segments, but focus on the ones that are giving you the best revenue. So you need to really track them through your customer relationship management program, your CRM, whatever that is, that database. Like who's buying, who's buying most often? And that yeah. could lead into like a loyalty program actually to encourage that. But doing customer personas which is basically a snapshot of your different market segments mm-hmm. is a is a great way to focus your energy and to get the best ROI right right why not improve the revenue or the markets that are giving you the best return mm-hmm. now <clears throat> there's I, I've been hearing a little bit of talk a little bit of chatter about this and I just wanted your perspective should a company have diversified marketing channels instead of just putting all eggs in one basket? So say if like their highest paying channel is LinkedIn and nothing else is doing any revenue, should they just abolish, just get rid of all the other channels and just put everything into one channel or should they have a diversified marketing strategy utilizing multiple channels? Yes, they should have a diversified strategy. However, the focus should be on where your market is. Like, right. don't do not do LinkedIn if you're not B2B or yeah. don't do TikTok. I mean, TikTok is getting a lot of buzz, but, in, I mean, I don't know how effective it is for most businesses. It, it, you got to polish your videos. Like, it's a lot of work. So analyze which channels are working best. And figure out where they align with your values or your goals. Like, mm-hmm. does that channel actually work for us? Whether it's branding or sales, what are you hoping to achieve there? Do it away again with what's not working. I mean, this is how we optimize digital marketing is like cut back on what's not working or eliminate it and invest more time and energy in what is. And that's how you continually improve and optimize. So yeah. analyze what's best, scale it back, and then add in a, a new channel one by one so that you can assess the success of that new channel and not spread yourself so thin. Okay. So what would you say is the one thing you wish all small businesses did when it came to marketing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, there's so many things. I'm trying to think of one. I didn't think of this in advance. 
I hope you're editing this. <laughs> My thought process. Hmm. It's all good. I like the thought process. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I guess... When I think about all business owners, my mind goes to startup companies because yeah. they are the ones who really don't know. Seasoned owners will know that they need marketing. Yeah. And they know that there needs to be a certain amount invested into it on a regular basis. But a lot of startups, they don't really realize what it takes to launch a business and how much marketing is actually needed or what yeah. type of marketing is actually needed. So they don't really factor that in. They know they need it, but they don't really fully understand it and I guess well I guess the key thing all companies should do is their marketing research right the research right research gives us evidence to make sound decisions and a lot of digital marketing suppliers or people that I work with would often you know pull a number out of a hat you know our click-through rate should be three percent I'm like well what is the industry standard or what is our historical data telling us where's the evidence to back up your opinion it's like pulling it out of your hat you know yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I agree I totally agree um so this is a great lead into the comic that I sent to you um so for those listening it's uh from mark markettunis.com and it was a May 22nd article that he wrote uh, called False Choice Between Brand and Performance. So just to set it up, visualize for you is you got a guy who's thinking decisions, decisions, and he, in front of him is two doors. Door number one is long-term brand building with no clear impact on sales. And door number two is short-term performance marketing that devalues the brand. Now, uh, the gentleman who wrote this, Tom Fishborn, he he made a uh, a valid argument that there should be a door number three, where um, long term and short term uh, solutions are in a perfect marriage. So, if there could be a door number three, what do you, what would it look like to you? like a hybrid yeah yeah so it's that scm versus seo i loosely put all paid media into search engine marketing which is search ads but i mean advertising in general and that push versus pull aspect right of the old school marketing traditional style of doing it it's now called inbound versus outbound there's a lot of focus on inbound uh you know creating the brand and having and attracting customers but I do feel like there should be a balance of the two. Um, So the paid media or the lead generation aspect of marketing is a critical part of that buyer's journey. If you view that journey, it always is intending to lead your buyer to conversion. And how do you do that? I mean, it's a mix and a combination of the long-term brand recognition over time that brings you those brand advocates, the loyal customers that love you and get to know you and, align with your values and just express what you have to offer by word of mouth like Harley Davidson that's the best example I can ever think of because people get tattoos I mean you cannot pay for that kind of promotion and branding right right? absolutely but the lead generation or the short-term advertising sometimes is necessary I mean oftentimes it is necessary because you the branding takes a really long time that's not an overnight success I mean it can be there's the anomalies yeah but 
I think it's Starbucks, right? How the evolution of Starbucks brand has has become the brand in the industry, but it's being overtaken now by other brands as well who have been in the running for maybe less time but have positioned themselves as a higher quality coffee. Therefore, they right. can charge 480 compared to Starbucks's. I think I just bought a Starbucks the other day. It was 245 for a 12 ounce. Like, uh, you know. Um, anyways, I think that, you know, the Starbucks success tells us that over time, people will get to know and love you. Like, I'm still a brand advocate of Starbucks. I go mm-hmm. to Starbucks. I like Starbucks. Um, but yet, other companies will have to do other promotions in order to achieve that kind of branding awareness and recognition. And it takes time. You are listening to Pace Notes, the podcast that helps automotive aftermarket leaders create clean entries through all the branding and business obstacles that lie ahead. Your host is Dennis Michael, branding guy, logo designer, and owner of Whole Shop Brandworks. For more information on Pace Notes, visit pacenotespodcast.com. If you find this podcast helpful, let another automotive business owner know about it. Leave a review, subscribe, or share this podcast. I thank you for your support. So like, so we have this marriage of the long-term versus the long-term and short-term performance. So where, like, how does a small business like invest in both long-term and short-term marketing especially with a, like, you know, they don't have large budgets. They know they need this stuff. So where should they weight themselves in terms of like the long-term and short-term and making this happy marriage of the two behind a door number three? From a a numbers perspective, uh, the research tells us that on average, 5% of your annual revenue should be devoted to a marketing budget. Yeah. Now that depends on your industry. The automotive industry, if you look up on Industry Canada, they've done the research on a number of companies, public companies that have provided data. And that number might be slightly lower for whatever reason or higher. I don't know. But on average, it's 5%. So of that 5%, you still need a certain amount to traditional marketing, like signage, trade shows, whatever you yeah. want to do, business cards. So let's say it right now it's 50-50. Yeah. Eventually, all marketing is going to be mostly digital. It hasn't quite gone over the 50 mark, I, I don't believe, but it's getting there. So 50% of your budget is going to be allocated to digital marketing. I would say a good half of that should be on content, building your brand, mm-hmm. delivering content, whether it's visual or messaging or user experience through multiple channels. You need to develop a, a voice, a brand personality that can be expressed through content. And content yeah. management is key to digital marketing. Of that, so half of that would go to, to your content management, which gets pushed out through social media, email. So that would be about 25% is pushing it out. But then another 25% should be focused on your search engine optimization. Yeah. Now, those numbers can vary. That's what the research tells me. That's kind of what the formula is. So if your company makes $100,000 a year, Five percent is that of that is five thousand dollars. Yeah. Half of that is twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Forty percent of that is what just over a thousand dollars. Yeah. Twelve hundred dollars maybe should go to content management. It's not a lot of money. You better be no. wise of what you're doing. 
And then some of that goes to SEO. SEO is much more expensive than, than that. But under, having a basic understanding of SEO for any owner or marketing manager is really important. They need to know what goes on behind that curtain instead of trusting others. I agree. I absolutely agree. And this goes back to the whole point of business owners knowing every little piece of their business, according to the e-myth, like they should have a little bit of knowledge and everything enough to be dangerous, but not enough where they're just going to take everything on because they can't, they got so much other stuff to do that at least if they know what's going on, then, then they'll know to weed out the, the bullshit artists from the, from the people that actually know what they're doing. Exactly. And one thing that business owners can and should do is devote part of their budget, a small part of their budget to testing, that A-B mm -hmm. testing, whether it's ads or social posts or blogs posts or, you know, even branding ideas, a little bit of trial and error first off, because the answer in digital marketing and what works and what doesn't work is always it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on what your goals are. It depends on what your budget is. It depends on how you're representing yourself. But one of the ways that we can overcome uncertainty is to tr test through split testing, which is a constant version versus changing a variable and, and testing it out and right. seeing with a small budget how you can optimize it before you do a full-blown campaign. Right. Okay. So you said that like, so no, actually you didn't say this. Uh, there was a stat that I came across and had to do with Gen Z and how the brand loyalty is at an all-time low. Like they allegedly they they want to be able to just come and go as they please with brands and they aren't loyal to any brands. Now I don't agree with that. I don't think that's the real case. But if brand loyalty is low, which I overhear from other sources, like how why why is it that way? Like, why, why do you think that brand loyalty is at a low point right now? Simply because it's diluted by the number of competitors. I mean, if anything, the last few years has shown us is that the world is very small. Yeah. You can reach a broader audience through digital marketing quite easily. So there's a lot of brands out there. But on the other hand, I, and I somewhat disagree because if you can understand that market and what is important to them psychologically... Right. You know, like Greta Thurberg. Sorry. Thurberg. Thurberg. I mean, she represents the generation. Yeah. And I hear it in common conversations from a younger demographic, like without them even realizing how supportive they are of a clean environment mm -hmm. and doing the right things that way. It's almost ingrained in them. You know, but. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. Like, there's, I think there's this, they're very observant very observant people and they have had an influx of so much information that like i i'm a i'm a gen xer and like i grew up without the internet and they have it at their fingertips literally at their fingertips they don't have to go and dial up like it's there so they get everything and anything and i think that their observations of the world and how like even the baby boomer generation, you can go even Gen X and how much error, how many errors they've made in terms of good. And I think that that's where like their headspace is at. It's like, we want to right all the wrongs because 
we are being bombarded with so many wrongs. I mean, there is still a lot of good things out there, but I don't think it's being told as much as Gen Z wants to wants to see it. Do you agree, or do you think I'm totally out to lunch with that thought? I don't know. Like, I was thinking about TikTok while you were talking, so I kind of missed something. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was thinking about, and I forgive me, uh, and we'll circle back, but yeah, I, it's I all good. To, to say that, like, t- the appeal of TikTok is that it emotionally connected with that demographic, right? Like, mm-hmm. the top TikTok people are dancers. And it's very dancey. And when I first started looking at it, and I'm not on TikTok, like I'm afraid of TikTok, to be honest with Me you, too. because it is so compelling. But I do <laughs> reels. And the thing is, is that it's humorous. I, you know, to me, it was like, oh, this appeals to like a, an 11 year old boy kind of humor. But then there's like pets and kids and moms, and it's expanded. And it came about in a time when people were like, you know, stuck at home and things seemed very dramatic you know these yeah. things that never happened before to the world as a whole but you've got this tiktok toy kind of like this this compelling thing to to give you a little bit of enlightenment and humor and of course it appealed to younger demographic because that's what they like but then it expanded to other people as other demographics as well because it came at a time when that was needed. So it was a deep, like that emotional connection. Somehow yeah. there's an emotional connection to it. That's that's really intriguing. I don't know. I think TikTok was as, as surprised as ever, anybody else that it actually became as popular as it did. I agree. I agree. And um, yeah, I agree. And I think it's, I think people need to remember that first and foremost, it's an entertainment platform where like you're there to entertain. And again, like you mentioned earlier about businesses actually getting ROI from TikTok. And that's, I question that too. Like you may have a million followers, but how much of that actually converts into real born sales or people there simply just to be entertained or to be educated with something? Are they actually going to be your loyal shoppers, right? Like you get uh, like, For instance, there's a bunch of local people here that have a mass following. But if we're looking at their mass following and realizing that there's a a large demographic of that that is international. So are they ever going to buy from them or are they just simply following them because it's just the entertainment value? So there's the, you know, that's where the, the whole confusion about ROI and really even social media in general, it's like, how much are you actually getting from there and who like, depending on the level of your business, if you're just local, if you're just regional, and then, you know, if you have a million followers, well, how much of them are actually your target demographic, you know, but everyone preaches about their numbers and likes and stuff and all the comments, but does that turn into actual dollars? I don't know. Yeah. They call it uh, analysts. Uh, analysts call those vanity metrics right because they like me they really like me but that goes to the branding piece so with tiktok what i've seen works and it it's not it's not a perfect vehicle and it's more branding than lead generation for sure but what kind of works is what's kind of like native advertising where you're not really advertising but like a, a a chef or a restaurant 
they could do like a super happy, fun little skit about, you know, and you see these on, on Reels and TikToks. Like they're like 30 second videos on how to instantly make a meal. And it looks yeah. delicious. You know, it educates and entertains at the same time. So educating about the brand and, you know, making, you know, expressing what the brand means through the visuals. That I think that works on TikTok. Right. Does that work for the automotive industry? That's a good question. I think you could do something, but what is your brand? Is Are you a luxury brand or are you the cheap brand? Are you the fun brand? Are you the entertaining brand? Like, what does your brand even mean? And then right. is TikTok the right vehicle, right? I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, so you, met, you mentioned earlier um, about digital taking over, like, conventional um, advertising and marketing. So where you said it's about a 50-50 split. So why do you think it's going to increase and will it abolish the traditional print media advertising or will there be this eventual balance or ratio of, you know, X digital versus X print and then it just happily sits there for the next two decades or something? Right. Um, in some literature traditional marketing is now termed physical marketing Mm. and i don't think physical marketing will ever go away right and the way the reason that i express that that it's 50 50 is because i went to a talk by bell communications and they did a international study of 500 companies now this is about five years ago and through that talk from their research they found that Companies were spending about 30% on digital marketing and 70% on traditional still. So the world has changed a lot since then. Digital marketing is much more easier. It's much more acceptable. Like I became an online shopper. (laughs) I didn't even know how much I needed to shop online until I realized, oh, this is quite easy. And actually everything comes to the door. And Uber Eats, you can order anything. Yeah. So digital marketing is taking over, definitely, and that needle is moving. So I'm estimating it's about 50%. And eventually it's going to be, you know, just digital marketing is just going to be called marketing. And then there's going to be some physical components. But, I mean, what happens if the Internet goes down? <laughs> right. And it has gone down many times. Like, you've seen Facebook go down. You've seen WhatsApp go down. You've seen Instagram go down. And I just, it blows my mind seeing businesses that are operating without websites and they put their whole effort into one social media platform and 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 there's no other way to contact them besides the social media platform i'm like what are you doing like why why are you doing this even facebook went to twitter to tell everybody why it was down right <laughs> like, like what are you doing i i just yeah Again, I think it just goes back to the whole diversifying, right? Yes, diversify your approach. I mean, it's like anything. Uh, You need to have different revenue channels, but you also have to have different marketing channels. And Mm -hmm. that leads to this current take on digital marketing called omni-channel approach, right? Where, like I mentioned, it's a seamless process uh, of integrating all your marketing initiatives so that whether you're brand your customer experience as a brand in store or online or through social media or in an email there's a there's a strong recognition there like they understand what the values are and what it means to them and it 
the brand should always like improve and evolve over time as well. Hey, I noticed. I, um, I noticed a, a, a old trend that's come back is that a lot of new companies are now putting the established date. Have you noticed this? Did yes, I'm. I'm. I've noticed that uh, like nostalgia. Actually, I was reading something else about nostalgia marketing and branding and how it is coming back. And I think there was there was something I read, and I have to look at it again, talking about why a nostalgia brand brand's nostalgia is, is so appealing to even the younger generations. And it has to do with like emotional attachment of just like even myself, I find myself like garbage pail kids, like teenage mutant ninja turtles. Um, like cartoons magazine, like they just bubble up so many really amazing memories and emotions for myself as a child. And like, you can't help, but just be like, you just get sucked in into that. Like it, it works. And I don't understand. It's weird, but it works. You know, um, one of the most famous brands in the world is Lego. Right. And Lego is is built has built its brand because it's multi-generational. It carries an enduring like nostalgia about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yet it still continually evolves over time. Before that, I remember Lego hit a hit a lull before they launched the Lego movie and their kits just got really terrible. Like it was like pretty much all constructed for you. Like they came up with bigger pieces that were already pre-done. Like there was not much building. And I think they realized that they lost sight of what their brand was truly about. And when that launch of that uh, movie, I think was like their comeback to tell everybody that like, well, let's get back to real building and being creative and taking apart a Lego set and making it into something completely new, which is what we did as kids. Yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, their competitor there is probably like a Minecraft, which is the digital version yes. of Lego. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's like that. That I think evolved from uh, Sim City because Sim City, when I was a kid, man, that was Sim City two thousand was the game to play. And now, like my boys, they they play Minecraft and Roblox all the time. And yeah, they're they love Minecraft. It's interesting. So, do you think the brand lost sight of the fact that it was both entertaining and educational? Which brand? The logo brand, because what you're saying is that. They took away, it sounds like they took away the aspect to build your motor skills and to educate children mm -hmm. how to, how things work and piece together, right? They went away. Yeah, like Lego, yeah, they, they, their, their sets were really bad. And I can't remember what year that was, but before that, before the movie started, like I know, like I even looked, because I used to look at Lego sets all the time. And every time I go in to into a toy store, I'm like, that's weird. Why would they do that? Like there's no building. And I would actually even say that this was right about the time my wife and I were dating. It was around 2003, 2004 ish time. Cause I remember complaining to her and saying, Lego doesn't let you build anymore. It's already pre-built. So why the hell would you buy it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's gotten way that. better. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I did a research project recently for a kids show, three to five year olds, 
And across the board, we did surveys. Uh, we looked at sentiment on Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did, um, I actually had a couple students work with me to talk to their friends and family. And number one was that the content should always be educate, educational as well as entertaining. Yeah. I mean, but I think that should be for all brands, really. Like, yeah, you know I, I agree. Mean? You need to have a little TikTok, <laughs> but you also need to have a little bit of like substance to what you're doing. Yeah, and then and then that's the and then I guess like I I fully admit I hate marketing. Marketing for myself and my business sucks. It really does. And then I'm thinking about this whole education, balancing education and um, and and entertaining even for my brand. And I'm like, well, what is that happy medium? Like, how do you come about that? And it's like, well, where is my, I guess not my risk tolerance. Where, where, where do I feel most comfortable with that? Right. And then I'm thinking about that for automotive brands. Like, okay. So there's one really cool brand um, on uh, Z1 Motorsports. They, they specialize in Nissan Z cars in doing aftermarket parts and souping them up and whatnot. And their Instagram account is really good. Like they, they take pieces of viral uh, clips, video clips, and they integrate it into um, clips with cars burning out, like all their customer cars and really cool, like shots of them rolling down the road or hearing them squeal their tires and whatnot. And they've done a fantastic job of integrating the entertainment with the educational, but now, if other brands wanted to do that, well, now they're going to go and copy that instead of coming up with something like an original idea for themselves. So now then that begs the question, well, what is, what is my entertainment value plus my educational value as a, as a brand? Like, and how do you find that? Yeah, there's some really good brands that have uh, promotions that are, they don't even mention the brand. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the Airbnb promotional yeah. pieces, videos. You know, they give families or people cameras, and then it's user-generated content, right? And right. then they edit it and put it together, and it tells a story. They never talk about the brand. They talk about the experience. And that's what I think that the best brands do, is that they don't need to say, hey, this is who we are. They need to show what they do through those uh touch points with their their target market with their customers to you know show them visually through images through video which is huge yeah through messaging and that you know the experience like what does it feel like to integrate with or interact with this brand like that's what the best brands do and would you say also like um where a company could really set themselves apart is focus their marketing on their customers and not themselves. That's a good approach. And, and if I can say an even better approach would be like figure out the three to five key areas of your content that you would like the world to know about you. I mean, figure out first of all your values and your brand, but out of that, and one of them could be user generated content, which includes testimonials, Right. And, and yeah. having people tag you in their social media so others can see that experience. Another might be behind the scenes. 
But, you know, making it kind of personal, you know, images and what goes on, you know, this is one of our automotive repair people and, you know, featuring another one might be actually featuring staff and employees. Another one might be industry news and demonstrating that you are an expert in your field. So by focusing not Mm -hmm. just on your Mm -hmm. values, um, focusing on like three to five key areas of content that you want to use and leverage to demonstrate your brand, Mm -hmm. that's what's important, I think. Again, it's that diversity, right? Not just one thing. Yeah. A story is many chapters, (laughs) many (laughs) players in the story. Anyways. Well, that's good. I like that. I like that. I just came Uh, up with that. I never heard of that. (laughs) See, this is great. We're chatting. New ideas are popping and singing. <laughs> I agree. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I mean, um, I guess we'll wrap it up here. We're almost hitting about an hour. Um, I'd love to have you again, and we can talk about other subjects in the marketing areas that uh, I think memberships is a is a hot topic when it comes to marketing. So I would like to hear your take on that in the future. Yeah, for sure. That would be interesting. I'd love to do that. Okay. So uh, we'll close out. Tony, how can people get a hold of you? I'm on LinkedIn. I have an unusual name. I'm easy to find. And there you'll see uh, uh, a link to my book. Excellent. (laughs) Cool. I'm going to buy your book because I want to, I want to, I want to read it because I'm very curious that uh, that maybe there'll be another talking point too in the future. It'll be fantastic. Um, So listeners, I'll have in the show notes uh, links back to Tony um, and you can get a hold of her if you have any more questions. And um, yeah, I look forward to our next talk because this will be fun. Lots of fun. Thank you, Tony.